from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Launchpad on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Launchpad here on Business Radio, Series 6M 132. I'm Carl Ulrich. I'm a professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, where I teach innovation, entrepreneurship, and product design. We're going to jump right in. My first guest for today's show is Will Ahmed, who's the founder and CEO of Whoop. Will, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Carl. All right, let's let's just get right into it. Tell us, give us the elevator pitch. What's Whoop? Well, Whoop is a wearable device and overall platform that helps improve your body and your health. Uh, so it's a small sensor that measures everything about uh, your body 24-7, sleep, recovery, exercise, strain. Uh, and then it provides a lot of uh, coaching recommendations via an iPhone app or online platform uh, that ultimately drives towards behavior change. So the biggest difference between Whoop and other products in the market is that uh, if you've been on Whoop for a year, uh, you ultimately have a lower resting heart rate, you have a higher heart rate variability, you're getting about an hour more sleep, and you've made meaningful changes in your behavior. So at its core, Whoop helps you improve your health. Wow, those are some amazing benefits. I, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued. Let's, let's go one layer deeper on the device. So what is it? A, is it something you implant in my, in my brain or something? What, what is the actual device? Well, it's a small sensor here. Uh, you can see it on my wrist. And, and for your listeners, uh, you can imagine a sensor about the size of my thumb uh, that's got uh, six different uh, capabilities, uh, including measuring heart rate, heart rate variability, skin conductivity, ambient temperature, uh, movement, uh, pulse oximetry, uh, respiratory rate. And we use all of those statistics uh, to collect information on how you sleep, how your body recovers, and how much stress or strain you put on your body. Uh, from a form factor standpoint, Whoop's unique in that it's really just a very small sensor, and it, it's mostly material. And the material uh, makes the product very comfortable, very easy to wear. You'll notice that there isn't a screen on the product as well. So it's uh, somewhat unobtrusive. Uh, you can also actually wear the sensor throughout your body. So I can wear this in shorts, boxers, um, shirts, uh, a woman could wear it in a bra. So it's a sensor that enables different locations for the technology to be worn, which is also unique in the market. I would say the last piece of differentiation is that uh, we sample health data at a uh, much more frequent rate than any other product in the market. So in a given day, a Whoop sensor will collect about 1,000 to 10,000 times as much data as, say, um, uh, you know, a more of a pedometer or uh, a smartwatch. Got it. So it's just an, it's an order of magnitude, more data um, and uh, higher accuracy. Yeah. And so just... Uh given it is radio and podcasts, to circle back on the description a little bit, the most commonly used form or most commonly used mode is something like a watch form factor. Uh, looks very much like, uh, say, about the size of an Apple watch, maybe a little smaller. And when you say material, it's a fabric band. So that's why it's comfortable uh, to go around your, your wrist, or as you say, I guess could be put almost anywhere as long as it maintains skin contact. 
Um, yeah, that, that's largely correct. I, I think the, the one important thing to note is that it doesn't have a screen on it. Ah. And a lot of our wearers actually prefer that because um, they can still wear another watch if they want. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or uh, it's something that that sort of disappears into the background. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of technology, Carl, that's fighting for our attention. Right. It's buzzing and beeping and giving you push notifications. And we always wanted Whoop to be a technology that was really more in the background and was there when you needed it. Yeah. And and the industrial design of the product speaks to that. So I have heard about Whoop for a fairly long time. In fact, I was chatting with with your colleague Alex before and my one of my very good friends, his son Mons works for you guys. So I've been hearing about, about Whoop. And um, but but I was surprised to learn that you started this basically right out of college almost 10 years ago. And so I'm guessing this journey has been quite incredible. And I wonder if you could take us back to the beginning. What's what's the origin story? Yeah, that's right. I, I founded the company my senior year at Harvard. I got into the space personally because I was always into sports and exercise growing up. I was a captain of the Harvard squash team. So I was a college athlete. I feel like I didn't know what I was doing to my body while I was training. I was an athlete who used to overtrain. Some will undertrain, some will misinterpret fitness peaks, some will get injured. Uh, you know, what is sleep? What is recovery? These are the sorts of questions that I was asking myself as a college athlete. And that that led me down quite a rabbit hole of physiology research. Uh, I read hundreds of, of physiology papers while I was in school. And I ultimately wrote a thesis around how to continuously understand the human body. And that... Uh, Physiology paper really became the uh, business plan for Whoop. And I became an entrepreneur before I even really knew what an entrepreneur was. And, yeah. uh, and sort of from there, yeah, I've been building the business. Yeah, so I was, I was curious looking at your background, uh, just trying to read between the lines a little bit. You, you were neither computer science major nor an econ major Right. I mean, you were, you were, so tell us a little bit about your background. You were, are you totally self-taught in terms of the science? Yeah. I mean, very, very self-taught probably in, in most things, uh, whoop, or at least, you know, get to benefit from working, uh, from really brilliant people who are, who are enormously, uh, talented and, and have really deep disciplines. I think part of what makes Whoop unique is that it combines a number of very deep disciplines, mm -hmm. hardware, software, analytics, physiology, research, design, uh, even notions of, of building a community and, and uh, having a, a technology that, that stands for something bigger than, than itself. Those are all sort of unique concepts. Most, I think most companies can be great at one or two things and be okay at a lot of other things. The challenge for wearable technology is you have to be great at like four or five things to even have a chance. Uh, and so I, I probably didn't fully appreciate how hard the company was that I was uh, set out to build. Uh, but I, you know, I, I had a, um, a commitment to learning and I had a, a knack for uh, finding people who are, who are more talented than me and, and especially in their, in their area of expertise. And those were, uh, I think those were good principles to get this off the ground. Yeah. So give us a sense of what the, the landscape was like in 2013. There have been, it seems to me, and I probably have tried them all, it seems to me there have been multiple waves of wearables. 
And I remember a device probably around 10 years ago that, that I strapped to my upper arm, to my bicep. And then I remember wearing various things clipped onto my, onto my waist, Fitbits and other things. And I remember things I put on my wrist and I've had various versions of, of rings as well. Uh, situate Whoop in that broader landscape and maybe talk about what the waves of innovation have been and where you fit in those patterns. Yeah, I think for Whoop, we, uh, we always set out to build technology that was more uh, medical grade in nature. So having a deep sense for accuracy, having a deep sense for uh, the relevance of the metrics that we're measuring to be uh, about your physiology, about what's going on inside of you versus uh, made up metrics. So from a practical standpoint, in 2012, we set out to replace a sleep laboratory, uh, the PSG machine, which is sort of the gold standard for measuring sleep. If you thought you had sleep apnea, you'd have to go to a laboratory and put on all these different sensors and get uh, uh, your sleep staged and scored by two humans and a bunch of techs. Uh, part one was, can we replace that? Uh, part two was seeing if we can uh, replace uh, heart rate monitoring under intense forms of activity uh, like that of the heart rate chest strap. Mm -hmm. So this is technology, I think, invented by Polar, dating yeah. back to the early 80s, 1980s. Chest strap, you wear it around your, your chest, and, and uh, it's primarily for exercise. And then the third uh, category was to measure heart rate variability, which a lot of medical research suggested had deep insight into your body's state of recovery, state of readiness, overall health, uh, and could really only be measured by an electrocardiogram, which, you know, is $20,000 technology that you see in a hospital. So uh, we wanted to build technology that could replace all of those things and do it in a sensor that you could wear 24 uh, seven. There's a good, I think there's a good uh, perspective in building hardware to make sure that whatever you're building uh, is ambitious enough such that by the time you finish building it, it's still unique and novel. And in 2012, that vision for the hardware was ambitious enough such that 10 years later, it's pretty unique in the market. Um, you could argue it, it took us at least five years to really execute against that vision. Um, and then I would say that the next five years uh, were, were optimizing around the coaching and the software and the analytics side of the business to really uh, drive it, the behavior change. It's one thing to collect the data. It's another thing to really explain how to use it and coach people on it. So, you know, I teach entrepreneurship and product design, and we have this distinction between push and pull. You know, is there a, is there a compelling pain point out there in the market? And, and do you have a painkiller or a vitamin pill? Or are you taking a solution and telling the world they, they, they need something? Which is whoop? Was there a compelling market need? Was there a customer saying, I need this thing? And were you building for that? Or was it more field of dreams? Like, hey, if we had all this data, we could do amazing stuff with it. I think that it, it, it was it was probably more the latter, but it, it's also just a notion that people didn't articulate their their problem and, and the solution they needed all that well in this space. 
I met with a bunch of coaches and athletes, for example, in 2010, 2011, and asked them, you know, what kind of technology would you want if you could have anything? And, and often it came back to exercise. It was more information about exercise, distance, video analysis, sweat, uh, muscles used, this type of stuff. And when I asked them what problems they were facing, it almost always came back to availability, injuries, um, how to train optimally. And so I thought there was a real mismatch between the solutions they were describing and the problems they had. And I actually thought the, the solution was to build technology that could measure your body 24 seven and actually really focus on recovery and sleep as a lens into understanding performance. Uh, and, and once I really oriented around that, I then believed that this, this technology could be used not just for athletes, but for anyone to understand 24 seven health. So if there was sort of a contrarian perspective that uh, we had in 2012 that then later turned out to be right, it would have been this notion that recovery was more important to understanding performance than exercise or even a performance itself. Um, I think if there was a, a more broad contrarian point of view, it was that you can take a lot of really expensive medical technology and put it into a very small form factor and revolutionize healthcare at large. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Sirius XM 132. I'm Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Will Ahmed, who's the founder and CEO of Whoop. I think there's probably a, a there's two principles I would underscore there just for our listeners. One is that you are describing a poll, that is you're describing a user need, but it was an unarticulated user need. You really had to read between the lines as to what problem they were hoping to solve. And that's part of the gift or the art of entrepreneurship. Um, the second is, I suppose, there seems to be some magic in data. Like if you can actually generate information that people didn't have before, there's likely to be a bunch of uses for it, which seems like part of, part of the story uh, as well. And I love both of those things. Let's turn a little bit to the to the business and maybe to the entrepreneurial journey. So you had this pretty compelling vision right from the start. We are, I would say, I mean, you're more than hitting your stride. You're super successful at this point, but it's only in recent years that it seems like, you know, you really got a product that's amazing and out there and people know about it. Talk about what we sometimes call the minimum viable product. What was your first product that you got out there and how much of the original vision did it, did it realize? Yeah. To, I mean, to underscore your point for a second, like whoop is 10 years old as a business after seven years, we almost ran out of money. And six months ago we were valued at 3.6 billion. So it's like, it takes a really long time to get successful overnight, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to uh, you have to really persevere through some of that messy period, and uh, and I think it's really important also that you've got a problem that pulls you through it that you're super obsessed with. It wasn't about the financial outcome for me or or members of my team. It was about solving this question of of um, measuring the human body and improving health. Uh, our you know our early uh, prototypes, and I, and I would call them really that, uh, 
were big and bulky and ugly and not comfortable to wear, uh, but they often drove at one or two sort of underlying principles that might be the harder principles. So, you know, our first prototype could measure heart rate variability from the wrist, which previously you needed an electrocardiogram for. Okay, well, that's probably got some value if you go from a $20,000 technology to something less expensive and smaller. Uh, okay, what can we do with that, right? So uh, when you're building hardware, I think it's especially important that you sort of de-risk things along the way and, and identify identify at what milestone do you need to, or at what stage do you need to prove what? And a lot of those early milestones were probably more geared towards being able to raise additional capital because mm -hmm. we weren't going to be driving real revenue for years. You know, this, this was a build it and they will come strategy. It was a, uh, we were building software and hardware in parallel that didn't even talk to each other yet. That's how much of a build it, you know, build it and they will come. It was. Uh, and I, you know, I don't think I was really satisfied with our overall technology stack until Whoop 3, which was something we launched in maybe 2000. This would have been 2019. Yeah. Wow. So that's seven, that's seven years in. Yeah. Um, again, it speaks to probably the degree of difficulty for what we were building. It speaks to the challenge in the category. Uh, it's worth noting that this is a category that really great companies have failed at. Mm -hmm. You look at sports apparel brands, Nike failed in the space, Adidas failed in the space, Under Armour failed in the space. Uh, you look at technology companies, Microsoft failed in the space, Intel failed in the space, uh, Jawbone went out of business, Fitbit ultimately sold but had an underwhelming performance, Google's had a bunch of start stops, uh, Amazon's really struggled. I mean, these are these wow. are some of the best companies in the world yeah. and they all have failed at wearable technology uh, as it relates to health. So I think that just speaks to how hard the space is. Yeah. But, you know, uh, well, as you describe that, I am dumbfounded and amazed that you found investors that were patient enough to wait till 2019. You've raised over $400 million of crunch bases to, to be believed. Uh, most of that fairly recently, of course, but uh, talk a little bit about that financing process and how you managed to get people to keep believing for that long. I think the, the question with uh, the question for investors is probably one of when you miss when you miss milestones along the way, mm -hmm. is it is it a sign that you are wrong about your core thesis? Uh, is it a sign that there's something really broken about the management team or the founding team? Or is it a sign that it's really it was just a lot harder than you thought or it was going to cost a lot more than you thought? And uh, I think time and time again, we were able to demonstrate it was it was really the last point there. You know, people generally still believe that the future involved health monitoring and wearable technology. We kept having proof points along the way prior to meaningful revenue that demonstrated that this was a different technology, yeah. whether it was research studies, whether it was the fact that Whoop was used by literally the best athletes in the world, LeBron James at his peak, Michael Phelps at his peak, like, you know, all these different sports leagues, all these different doctors, like there was a lot of indications that what we had built was important. Um, 
but it just, it needed to take longer before we could drive at it. And, uh, um, and, and look, we never quit too. I think, uh, if you stay relentless and, and the, the vision that you set out to build still seems true, you can continue to find believers. Yeah. So I, I want to ask another question. If, if I were teaching, which I do, I teach new innovation. I do a, a session on new category innovation where you're doing really things that are highly uncertain and highly risky. And the time-tested strategy is what Jeffrey Moore called the bowling pin. You solve a single segment's problem, you really nail it, and then you move to adjacent markets. But there's a fundamental tension here, which is the big market is not the Michael Phelps of the world, right? It isn't elite athletes. And so how do you manage that tension between going after a really targeted segment, high need, high willingness to pay customer segment versus telling a story that's big enough that it can be exciting to institutional investors? Well, I... I believed then, and I think it's largely turned out to be true now, that uh, professional athletes were a great starting point for the technology. One, because they needed this data at the time more than other people. You know, they were getting paid a lot of money depending on how they trained or how they felt or how they, their bodies recovered. And two, if they wore it, it could really change the way people felt about health monitoring and make Whoop an aspirational brand which would then translate well to the consumer market. Uh, if you think about health monitors historically, they've often come with a stigma. You know, that person's wearing a health monitor, something must be wrong with them. And I always felt that was really problematic for the category. And I was someone who grew up, you know, inspired by brands like Nike, where you put on a pair of Jordans and you all of a sudden feel a positive alignment towards exercising or towards, you know, generally, uh, uh, your lifestyle. And so I, I, I thought in building whoop, wouldn't it be great if we could create that same, that same feeling with, with our wearable technology, that this was a positive, not a negative. It was an aspirational. So that was the, the story always around starting with pro athletes, the technology itself at its core, what we were measuring was as relevant for a professional athlete as it was for anyone. A lot of it would come down to the software. It would come down to how we talk to our, our different customer segments. Someone who wants to lose weight may have a different perspective than someone who's running marathon, someone who's trying to improve sleep, right? You start segmenting those things out. But that became an easier piece of the equation than the whole underlying technology to go with it. Got it. Um, you know, as I look at the business, it today has a lot of moving parts. So you've got a device, you've got an app, you've got a service, you've got a subscription, you've got a podcast. It, it's, it's really a pretty complex constellation of things you're doing. Is that a feature or is that a bug in the, in the business? How do you feel about it? I think it's a feature because uh, we've built a uh, vertically integrated you know, level of technology. Uh, we control everything about the software and the analytics in part because we control everything about what gets measured, uh, which is also the story for building hardware. People would often say, oh, you can use other people's hardware, just build the software. And they didn't actually understand all the advantages that you get from um, controlling the end-to-end -end user experience. 
uh, in terms of whether it's a po- uh, the Whoop podcast or Whoop Live, which is us now broadcasting heart rate on live sports, building again more media around the technology, I think helps elevate that Whoop brand. Brand being often cited as a core differentiator for companies that are mature. I wouldn't call Whoop mature, but we're, we're moving in that direction. And so uh, when you think about the moat of the company, uh, having uh, this huge end-to-end stack of technology where we can innovate at any level, having uh, a membership base that's paying every month and is committed to the company uh, by virtue of paying every month, having people who listen to the way we talk about data or see how we're presenting data on television, all of that builds something that uh, is much harder to replicate. And therefore, I think in turn should make the business more valuable. Yeah, um, I, I agree with all of that. And I admire you for being able to pull it all off. It's a lot of moving parts. Um, let, let me, let me. last topic, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about COVID. So, so what's going on? I, I, I can't imagine, I gotta believe these widgets are made in Southern China somewhere. What, what, is the, what is the supply chain implications been and how are you feeling about uh, global manufacturing of hard, hardware these days? Well, we've had challenges uh, ramping up our, our Whoop 4 technology. It's, it's been sold out since the day we launched it, which was September of 21. Uh, fortunately, we're here now at the end of April and we're virtually out of backlog. So we're going to be shipping on demand very shortly. All that's to say is, yes, we faced challenges for the last seven months, like many other companies around the world. Uh, I think, again, it speaks to the value of having a committed, loyal membership base that uh, believes in in the overall brand and believes in what we stand for. And um, we've fortunately been able to weather that storm. Uh, we've also, we raised a lot of capital over yeah what was, you know, probably a 12 month period, we raised about $300 million. So having a strong balance sheet helped us weather that storm as well. Yeah. Well, well, it's really inspiring. It's a great story. And I love your quote. It takes a decade to be an overnight success. Um, So thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. We need to take a short break. When we're back, I'm going to talk with Raul Medina, who's vegan chef and founder of Taqueria La Venganza. I'm Carl Ulrich, and this is Launchpad Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. This is Steven Silverstein, CEO of Spencer Spirit Holdings, and you're listening to Business Radio on Sirius XM 132. 